As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me your Bibles, we're continuing on our journey through Ephesians 4, looking at the fact that we are family. Because we are family, there are a lot of family matters that we need to uh, discuss together. We got to live in a way that's honoring to God. We got to live in a way that's honoring to one another. And now Paul's going to kind of roll up his sleeves to us. He's going to say, this is the way you're supposed to live your life. Let me start off by saying some really, really, really good news. What God requires of us, God provides for us. Isn't that an incredible God? What God requires of us, God is going to and has provided for us. Rejoice. He's going to call us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. But there's such good news. He is going to enable us, empower us to walk in that way. And not leave us to walk and stumble on our own. Memorial Day weekend. Here we are uh, for many tomorrow. Yahoo, sleep in. You have an extra day. uh, A shorter work week. Um, Hopefully it's a uh, prelude to summer and things to come. Obviously some have already thought it was summer in our midst. But what does Memorial Day mean? Why do we have it? I mean, Memorial Day is for us to remember something, uh, memory. It's to evoke a memory that we can celebrate that memory, but what? Interestingly, it began in our country as a Memorial Day to remember fallen Union soldiers in the Civil War. That kind of intrigue you? I mean, okay, yeah, the, the North won and all, but why just the Union soldiers? But that's what it started off as, to remember those who fought for us to preserve our nation, our liberty. Well, after World War I, our forefathers got smarter and says, you know what? It's got to be more than just for the Union soldiers. We got to have a day in our memory thanking all of the men and women who have given the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of their lives, so that you and I can do what we're doing right now, so that you and I can walk in freedom. In liberty, so that you and I can worship in freedom and liberty. Can you imagine what our memory would be and what our experiences would be like and the way our life would be had we not won? What if we didn't win World War II? Guten Morgen. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? I mean, what if Hitler was successful or Ohio Gesinus? What if we did not win? What if Hitler really did take over the world? What if that one lunatic was able to do what he wanted to do when we were unable to respond and defeat evil? Can you imagine the difference in your life? What would your memories be like as we sat here today, probably not even being able to have the right of being here today, speaking German? You see, you and I, live our lives in reality, and our memories are filled with a victory. The victory of those who have gone before us. And now because of their victory, there are certain freedoms that we enjoy today, tomorrow, and every day. Because we live in a country that is free, and we are thankful for the men and women who gave their life for their freedom. But we should live our lives differently. Listen, if we lived our lives in bondage, If we lived our lives like we were defeated, wouldn't we be the most to be pitied and the most foolish? 
See, what Jesus is saying to us in this text through the pen of Paul is this. I have won the greatest victory ever. The victory over his and our enemies. The victory over sin and death itself. And every day for us Christians, by God's grace, is Memorial Day. Every day is the memory of what Jesus, the fairest Lord, the fairest of them all, has done for us. And because of his victory, because of what he was able to do by becoming man in flesh and walking among us, because of his victory, unbelievably on a Roman cross, because of his victory over death itself in an empty tomb, because of his ascension to the right hand and sending forth the Holy Spirit, because of that reality, my brothers and sisters in Christ rejoice. We should live our lives walking in a manner worthy of that victory. That's what Paul's telling us today. It matters. It matters. Memorial Day matters. It matters for us to stop and remember. It matters. But so much more importantly, My brothers and sisters, it matters in our lives because of what Jesus has done. And now our whole lives should reflect his victory and the way we walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we have been called. Turn with me in your Bibles. We'll start in verse chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, because if you've been here through this life-changing series, okay, I thought I'd hear some laughter at that. I guess it's true. Um, you will have known that Paul starts off in this telling us that we got to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And he kind of interrupts his thoughts. He does that a lot. He interrupts his thoughts to say, now remember, you are one. You really are one body. You and I have been connected in Christ Jesus. We are one body. Then he tells us we have many gifts, but we got to be unified. And now he's going to re- come back to where he started and said, and say to us, walk. In light of victory. And the Memorial Day walk, a parade every day of our lives. So here's what he says in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Then we're going to pick up 17 through 24. Remembering we're reading God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he's going to tell us to walk in a certain way. When he says walk in a manner worthy of our calling, he's really telling us to live our lives in a certain way. Paul and the other gospel writers use the Greek word for walk to really talk about our lifestyles. So he tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. He's saying this, live your lives on a daily basis in a way that proclaims victory. Jesus is victory. Because you have been called to such a high calling. With all humility, verse 2, and gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now let's jump to verse 17. Because he's really continuing this train of thought here. He says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That you you must no longer walk or live your lives as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to the sensuality. Greedy. 
to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let us pray. Father, clearly you have a call for us. And it's a call that affects our lives 24-7. It's a call that we are to respond to what your Son has done for us. And now our lives are to reflect his victory. His victory for us over sin and death. His victory of uniting sinful man and a holy God forever together in Christ. And now every day is a Memorial Day parade for Christians as we proclaim that victory in the way we love you and the way we love one another. Father, we need to hear how to walk. We need to know how to live. In spirit of the living God, through the preached word, would you teach us? Would you open up our ears to hear from our Savior Jesus? And Spirit of the living God, would you illumine our minds and shed your light into our minds so that we can understand who you are, who we are in Christ, and how you are calling us to live our lives? O Spirit of the living God, empower our feet not to walk out of here as hypocrites, but to walk out of here in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. Cause us, as the prophet Ezekiel tells us, cause us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Father, the things that are said that are merely my opinion are they, are they wrong, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus, would you use those things to make us imitate our Savior Christ Jesus? And it's in his powerful name we pray. Amen. Really what Paul was saying is this, we have an incredible victory a victory that you and I could never receive on our own. We could never have done it had our big brother, God himself, becoming flesh, stepping out of heaven and rescuing us, securing that victory. And now we are to live our lives in response. And there are requirements that God gives us for living our lives in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. Now listen, we, gotta, we can't forget this. Whatever God requires of us, God supplies for us. That's how gracious he is. And he's going to tell us to live our lives. We, are, we need to have the right mind. We have to have the right God, or the right uh, mind, the right heart, the right perspective of who we are. We need to put on God and take off our old sinful self. But what are the requirements God has us for walking in a manner worthy of our calling? It starts with this. We've got to have the right mind. It begins with our mind. You see, the way we see the world, this is important, the way we see the world will affect the way we live in this world. The way we see the world will affect the way we live in the world. Every single one of us here, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, every person who lives right now has a certain way in which they see the world. We call it a worldview. 
I mean, I pull up next to a car at a traffic light in town here, and the car next to me will have a Christian symbol. It looks like a fish. We call it an ichthus. But inside that fish, uh, they will actually have now grown feet. And they'll say the word Darwin inside. And right by being next to this person, I know his worldview. I know the way he sees life. He believes we've evolved from lucky mud. That there is no connection with a God who we are responsible to. Every single one of us, an atheist, has a certain worldview. They believe there is no God. A Buddhist will have a certain worldview the way they see God. A Muslim has a certain worldview in which they see God. And as followers of Christ, as God's children, we too must have his worldview. And it begins with us having the right mind. Yet we have a problem. Naturally, we don't have a good, healthy mind. Scripture tells us here and other places that sin has darkened our mind and our understanding. So much so, Paul will say in Ephesians 2.1, that sin has actually made us dead in our trespasses and sin. That our minds naturally on our own are unable to grasp the things of God, to see God who, for who he is, to see us rightly for who we are. And therefore our minds are darkened. And we will never be able to see the world in which God has created the way He has intended for us to see. So it begins with us having a right mind. A Christian worldview. And what this does is is God gives us, breathes life upon us. And gives us the right mind in Christ Jesus. We now have the ability for the first time to collate all this knowledge of the world. And to shape it in a way that realizes that He is God that we have a responsibility to him, and that Jesus Christ is king. You see, when having a right mind and asking God to say, God, give me the mind of Christ our Savior so that I can see the world as you see the world, so I can see the world through your eyes, that is a Christian worldview, and this is what happens. First of all, we see God rightly. There is one true living God. And in this one God, there is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct persons, and yet one God, a mystery that only God can help us wrestle with by faith in Christ Jesus. But as we see God rightly, we see this, we see his son Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. We see Jesus as the one that every knee someday will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord and oh how we are blessed now to be able to say that to see God rightly is able to say Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords we see God as the author and giver of life we see God as the creator of all things we see God as God almighty and so then when we pull up next to someone who has a Darwin sticker on their car we say we see God completely different we see the world completely different Because God is creator and author of all things. And because Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings, we see great value in him and great responsibility to him. Does that make sense? You see, for some they may say, this this is not my father's world. This world is my oyster. This is my world to navigate and to figure out. But God has called us, no, no, no. See the world rightly. And the only way we see the world rightly is if he illumines our mind to see God rightly. Is a God that we will bow to, a God who is almighty creator, a God that we owe our very lives to. And then we have to see ourselves rightly. 
You see, we are all created in the likeness of God. Genesis 1 tells us that. There is such good news. All the things that God has created reflect who He is. All the things that God created tell His story. But as human beings, we have a special gift of His image that reflect His characteristics and His qualities. And this isn't just true of Christians. This is true of Buddhists. This is true of Muslims. This is true of atheists. This is true of anyone, pantheists. All men and women, by God's grace, reflect who he is. And we have to see ourselves rightly. And that's why Jesus Christ has come. He has come to redeem all things. He has come to make right that which sin has ruined. He has come to reconcile us to Christ. And now those of us, by God's grace, who he's given faith to, we have been reconciled with the Father. And we now can see ourselves Rightly. Unbelievably. Christian, you know who you are? You have been recreated to have a relationship with Christ as God has intended it to be. Christian, you have been cleansed in the blood of Christ and you clothed in his righteousness and you are not only forgiven, you are beloved. Christian, see yourself rightly. See yourself rightly of a father who just looks at you with such beauty and adoration and love Because of the wrath of the God for our sins was absorbed by his son. And he lavishes his love upon us. See yourself rightly in God's eyes. It is the most beautiful sight for sinners like us. And not only have we been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ. We now are his ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Unbelievably, Jesus came to restore the world and the order in which the Father has intended it to be. A place where God and man would live together with Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. We've ruined it through our own sin. But Jesus rescued it through his own life. And now he says to us, I want to reconcile the world through you. See yourself rightly. You're beautiful. You're mine. You ready for this? You're ambassador. You're ambassador. You're my A plan. I am going to make my appeal to this world through you. You see, it begins with us walking in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received so that we can have the right mind. As we have the right mind, we see God rightly for who he is. But we also need to see ourselves rightly for who we are in Christ. I know what the mirror says to you. It says the same to me. It says you're broken. It says you're not good enough. It says you're still failing. Can he really, really love you? But look to Christ. You see, for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we have been called, we must see ourselves rightly. We're his A-plan. We are as his ambassadors. And we see our value and we also see our calling. You see, we have been called, my brothers and sisters, to glorify God. We're calling to live our lives in a way that makes him famous, makes him happy, makes him known. We are called to enjoy him forever. What a great calling, because that's life. Life is glorifying God and enjoying Him for, uh, forever. Not only that, by having the right mind, we see culture rightly. How do we see culture rightly? And there's a lot of confusion in Christendom right here. What are we supposed to do with culture? Is it really bad? Is it really so bad that we should shun culture? That we should really just say, it's, it's, it's terrible, let's run away, let's build monasteries, let's just get away from all the sinful people and all that is bad because it is just icky, it's going to affect us. If that were the case, he wouldn't call us ambassadors, would he? He'd call us separatists. So what are we supposed to do as Christians? Are we supposed to create our own culture, our own subculture? 
And as Christians, we have a tendency to do this. This is what it looks like. We want to create our own radio stations, our own movies. We want to create our own books and our own bookstore, our own way of living. We want to create a little subculture that can be somehow detached from the bigger culture. And that's not really what God is calling us to either. Not that Christian radio or Christian movies are bad in and of themselves, but we are to be the light of the world. We are to be a city on a hill. We are to be the salt of the earth. It doesn't mean that we create a little subculture that's irrelevant to the rest of the culture. Here's what it means. We love the culture that God has raised up because in a unique way it brings him beauty. In an incredible way it tells of his story. It tells of his worth. It tells of his diversity. Listen, God loves culture and diversity. Brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. And yes, he's making us one in Christ, but he's not doing away with what makes us distinct. He's not doing away with cultures. And as Isaiah sees the new heavens and the new earth, guess what happens? Culture remains. Jesus says, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will come to me. And yes, they will be one. So what is our goal? It's to celebrate the diversity of culture and yet bring it under the lordship as Christ, as his ambassadors. It's going to those who are brown, yellow, black, and white, different socioeconomic uh, uh, positions in ourselves and saying, you are valued. God loves you right where you are. The culture that you bring. Yet this culture needs to submit to the lordship of Christ. And we need to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, shaping that culture for the glory of God. Isn't that beautiful? I just love the diversity in that. We need to see and value culture uh, and what our calling is to it. And lastly, with this point, is that we need to see church rightly. We need to see the body of Christ, the church rightly, that we truly are the A plan. Listen, we always have been the A plan. From the beginning where he created man to walk with him in paradise called the Garden of Eden, and where he drove out darkness and he made beauty of that which was void, And he brought order to that which has chaos. And he calls us now to fill the earth with his glory, to multiply and rule and reign for him. Listen, what Jesus has done is he's reconnected the dots. He's reconnected the commission so we can do just that. The church has always been, always will be, the A plan to advance Christ's kingdom for his glory. We need to see ourselves rightly. We are the instrument in the Father's hands that he's choosing to use to tell of his story and his love and his beauty and of his fame. And so that everyone truly can see Jesus as Lord. We need a right mind so we can see God rightly. We can see ourselves rightly. We can see culture rightly. And we can see the church correctly. And when we see the church with that value, what he calls the bride of Christ, that Jesus himself has purchased with his own blood, we will have a deep love and recognize the value in our calling. But not only the, the right mind, it also requires having the right heart. On December 3rd, 1967, South African surgeon Christian Bernard conducted the first ever, you ready for this? Heart transplant on a 53-year-old man. And he had successful surgery. Blows my mind. We can transplant hearts. But medications that were given to him to prevent his body from fighting off, uh, um, rejecting that new heart, kept him from fighting off other illnesses. And within 18 days of the operation, he died of double pneumonia. Scripture tells us of an urgent need that we have with our hearts. 
Paul says our hearts are callous. We're unable to respond. Paul will also say that we truly are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are born with a need of a heart transplant. Sin has calloused our hearts. We have hardened hearts toward God and toward one another. And the only thing that will work is God transplants a heart for us. And what God requires, guess what? God provides. And he did it. Ezekiel 36, the prophet Ezekiel will say it this way. He's removed the heart of stone that we have, that callous heart. And he's given us a heart of flesh. He's given us the ability to have faith in him. And he's causing us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. When God gives us a new heart, we're able to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and the calling in which we've been called. And here's the bottom line with our new heart. And if you know that you have one or not, a new heart with a heart of flesh loves the things God loves. It loves God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it loves neighbor as itself. How is it with your heart? Is it callous because of sin? Or is it beating for God so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Paul goes on to say, having the right mind, having the right heart, that we are to put off the old you. Put off that old sinful nature that which deserves God's wrath, that which Jesus had to die for, that we're to put it off. You know, there's nothing like a new, uh, like not new, there's nothing like an old pair of real comfy jeans, is there? I mean, something about jeans, maybe tomorrow morning you wake up, you don't have to go to work, you can put on that favorite pair of jeans, maybe they got stains on them that your wife says, why do you even have those things anymore? Because they fit and they're comfortable and you're favorites. Until like me, you outgrow them. And something happens. They're no longer comfortable. And Jesus says this. Our old sinful nature, we are to put off like a garment. We shouldn't have them in our closets anymore. They shouldn't feel comfortable for us. That lifestyle in which we lived and walked in ignorance before we knew God should be done away with. What's in your closet? Is there a lifestyle there that looks like a pair of old jeans that sometimes you slip on because it just feels so comfortable? Are there old habits that you slip into? Well, God says to us in his word that we are to put off the old self and to put on the new self. The new self that has been created, recreated in Christ. The new self that Jesus has secured for us. And I love what it says with his new self. Listen, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, we are brand new. It's not like we've been fixed up a little bit. We are brand new creatures. We have new natures. We are no longer dead in sin. We've been made alive in Christ. We are brand spanking new in Christ Jesus. And now we are to live putting on that new you in a way that reflects who Jesus is. I don't have time, but look in Colossians 3, 3.10 we realize that in Christ Jesus, we are created, recreated after the likeness of God. Recreated in Christ. We now have, listen, my brothers and sisters, we now have true holiness. We do in Christ Jesus. We're so new. All of our sin is all of it. Future, past, present sin nailed to the cross. All of Christ's righteousness robes us. We have true holiness in Christ. And that forever affects our relationship with the Father. He always will love us. He never will reject us. The wrath of God has 
subsided on the cross. And now we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We can dance. We can sing. We can shout because we are loved. We are loved in Christ Jesus. We are beautiful in Christ Jesus. We are holy in Christ Jesus. And it's a relationship that affects the way we treat one another as well in true righteousness. It should affect our relationships, the way we love one another in Christ. You know how it all happened? Jesus put on the old you. He did. That old you, that that sinful nature of yours and mine, Jesus wore it. He wore it on the cross. And the filth and the depravity and the brokenness of it and all the wrath that the Father deserves because of it was poured upon Him. He wore our old self so that we can wear the new self in Christ. God took Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And now He calls us to walk in a manner worthy. Walk in this victory. For the new you, as we grow in him in holiness, we grow together. It's the new you for the new us so that we can be all that God wants us to be. And here's the bottom line of all of this. When we put on the new you, what we're doing is we're putting on Christ, being imitators of Christ Jesus. Memorial Day. It's a day we set aside Celebrating the lives that were given to us, the men and women who sacrificed all they had so we can walk in freedom. For the followers of Christ, every day is Memorial Day in the sense that we walk in freedom. We walk in victory, freedom from sin's power and penalty. And now we get a chance to walk in a manner worthy of the good news of the gospel. A walk that requires us to walk in holiness and righteousness before him. As the worship team comes forward, we're going to sing holiness. Holiness is what we need. Holiness is what we long for. Why? Because holiness, a life separate from sin, a life devoted to him, is a life worthy of the calling in which we have been called. We'll look more at this next week as we unpack what does it really mean to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. But it begins, new mind, new heart for him. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you for the incredible, incredible love you've lavished upon us that you would give us in Christ Jesus life and unity. Thank you for the new mind, the mind of Christ, so we can see you rightly, see ourselves rightly, our culture, our church. God, thank you for the new heart so that we can love what you love. And Father, cause us Cause us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Make us long for holiness, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand and sing?